Open your love letters this morning. Amen. That's what it is. It's just a big love letter. That's, that's all it is. 66 books of love letters. That's what it is. Amen. Turn to Luke chapter 7. I'm going to look at verse 36 through 48. Luke chapter 7. Verse 36 through 48. You got it? Say, I got it. it. If you don't have it, say, I don't got it. All right. And it reads, one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus Christ, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50 When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. May the Lord have a blessing upon the hearers, readers, and doers of his word. Amen. You may be seated. Our congregational song this morning was, Oh, How I Love Jesus. Fitting for the title of today's message, which is, How I Love Jesus. Amen. How I Love Jesus. Oh, How I Love Jesus. Amen. Can you say the same? For when I think about all the things that he has done for me, How he saved my life and set me free. Amen. It says that he is my way maker for he made a way out of no way. I was in a hopeless situation but he gave me hope. Up the creek without a paddle. Couldn't even help my own self. But there he was. He says he is the amen. The one who took my burdens and put it on his back and nailed it to the cross. Amen. So there should be some praise from those who know. The price that was paid on Calvary by Jesus Christ. Paul said he is the only potentate king of kings and lord of lords. Says we were like a burning stick in a fire until he snatched us out. 
We were blind, but now we see. Amen. We were lost, but now we are found. Praise the Lord for his saving grace. But when I think about where I could be and where I should be, somebody didn't hear me, where I could be and where I should be, I have to give him praise. Amen? I have to give him praise. We see in this passage an illustration of the love that is to be shown to Jesus Christ for, for, for doing what no one else could do or quite frankly, doing what no one else would want to do. No one would want to endure what Jesus Christ endured for our sake. And the message or the question I have for you this morning is one of our love for Jesus Christ. Uh, we say that we love Jesus, as we rightly should. But we should be challenged in how much we love Jesus Christ. This passage should cause us to examine our love to him. Uh, for his word says to love the God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. Are we loving him with all our heart? Are we loving him with all our soul and all our strength? Amen. We sing songs. Oh, how I love Jesus. But how do we measure our love to Jesus Christ? Is it coming to church on Sunday morning? Uh, how do we look at our love to know that we love him? When we see this passage, this is a perfect illustration of someone who loved Christ with all her heart, all her mind, all her soul. I pray that through this message you will reflect on how much you love Christ. And we will see the key to loving him more. Amen? One of the things we focus on is our love. Our love is to Christ is so important. Because it affects everything else that we do. The love that I have for someone else may affect just that relationship I have with that individual. But the love I have for Christ affects every aspect of my life. So it is important that we understand our love for Christ and how we can love him even more. For my love for Christ affects my tithing. It affects my obedience. It affects me as a parent. Uh, whether it be a father or, and, uh, and as also as a husband, it also affects our kids, how you are as sons and daughters, how you treat your parents, amen, and the way we treat others. So our love for Christ affects everything else that we do. And so we want to look at the measure of love we have for Christ. For the measure of love we have for Christ, it should dictate the level of commitment we have to Christ. Through this passage, we'll look at how our love for Christ may grow even more for there's no greater commandment than one Christ said when he said to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Now, this is not to question whether or not we love God, whether or not we love Christ. And some, that may be a question, but the question is to what depth is our love? Do we love him to the extent that we say we do? We see in this passage in Luke chapter 7, in verse 36, Jesus is invited over to the house of a Pharisee. His name is Simon. And to have dinner. And Jesus, we see, accepted that invitation. And Jesus was, seemed to always be surrounded by the Pharisees. They seemed to be the ones that he was always um, responding to. 
making an example of them because of their ways. Uh, and the Pharisees were one of the many religious sects or groups at that time. You had the Sadducees, you had the Essenes, you had all these different groups, but the Pharisees you hear about more than any of them. We know of some of the prominent Pharisees that were mentioned in the Bible. We heard of Nicodemus in John chapter 3, a Pharisee who came to Jesus, uh, uh, knew that he was from God, but wasn't willing to risk his life and come out in the open and say it. So he kind of was on the down low, as we would say. And we know of Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. Uh, and he was, he was uh, persecuting Christians. Uh, and we see there, was a, there were a lot of requirements. There were some requirements to being a Pharisee, and, and, and it was that group uh, had to know about the Bible. They had to know well, what we know of the, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, so we see the Pharisees were typically well-schooled and knowledgeable about the law. Uh, the problem is their knowledge of the law was not the problem. It was their trust in the law, the trust in the law for salvation. This Pharisee named Simon invites Jesus over to dinner to eat. And as was the custom then, Jesus and the others are reclining at the table while they're eating. Uh, in the King James Version, it says Jesus sat down uh, to meet, which is indicating that you lay down and eat. Your head is closer to the table and your feet is, is away from the table. And, and we see this, this taking place and uh, they were all gathered there and, and there were some others there as well. Uh, when these meals took place, you also had others who were less privileged as well who may be on the outside. While those on the inside discussed whatever it is they needed to. And we see something interesting unfold as they are sitting down at this table. Out of nowhere, a woman appears. But she is there for a whole different reason. Amen. She's not there to get a meal or to eat. Amen. You know how we do. If you need to have somebody come out early, you better be serving breakfast. If you're going to have an evening at service, you better have a meal with it. She wasn't there to eat or to get a meal. She wasn't there for religion. She wasn't just showing up because that's the thing that she typically did. She came for no other reason than to bless the Lord and to dwell in his presence. I'm sure she had other reasons that she could have come. She could have, uh, I'm sure she had other issues that she was dealing with, but you don't hear any of that. You don't see her bringing any other concerns at that time. She could have approached Christ about what she was going through or what she was enduring at that time, but she didn't do that. She simply shows Christ how much she loves him. Amen? And as we look at this woman, we don't know much about her. We don't know uh, her name. We don't know what she, what she looks like. We don't know her age. We don't know where she comes from. And the reason why, because it does not matter. It doesn't matter what her age was. It doesn't matter what her name was. It doesn't matter where she came from. Those things that sometimes we put a premium on, which Christ really is not focused on. Some think that this was Mary Magdalene or Mary of Bethania, but this was not her. This was a different woman. There are a couple things, that, though, that we do know about her. One, we know that she loved Christ. 
We know that she loved Christ because of what she showed and how she responded in the presence of Jesus Christ. And the question is, when it is all said and done, can someone say the same for you and I? Can they say that you love Christ? Sometimes we want to be known by so many other ways, a great teacher or a great singer or a great basketball player or dresses nice or looks nice or whatever it may be, which there's nothing necessarily wrong with being known in those ways. But the question is, do they only see you for that and not for one who loves Christ with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind? If they can't say anything else about you, can they say that you love Christ? Amen? So we see that, first of all, that she loved Christ. Second of all, she, we see that she was a sinner. The other thing that Luke's point points out is that she was a sinner, and it was believed that she was a prostitute. Uh, by the way, it's indicated. It, it's ironic that Luke mentions that, that she is a sinner because everyone is a sinner. Uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it seems that Luke is stating the obvious. But there's a reason why he's pointing out that she is a sinner. He mentions this to focus in on her sin and the sin debt and the gravity of her sin. He mentions her sin to focus in on that and the gravity of her sin. He aims right for what is important. He aims for what is important because sin is what's important. Again, we put a focus so many times on different things, things that don't matter. And the gospel deals with sin. Salvation is not simply about wearing a crown or seeing your loved one in heaven. It's concerning our relationship to Jesus Christ, our relationship to God, and him removing the only barrier that stands in between uh, us and a holy God. And Luke does a great job of bringing that to light by emphasizing that she was a sinner. Luke mentions her sin for another reason as well. And if, if we desire that our love for Christ grows even more uh, to, than it is today, we'll be wise to take note of what Luke is pointing out. He highlights her sin because she understands her sin, that their sin and her sin debt that she owed is what drove her love for Christ. I'll repeat that. She understood that the sin debt that she owed, and because of the sin debt that she owed, and she understood that that is what drove her love for Christ. So the passage is letting us know that the key to loving Christ even more than we do today is us to have a deep sense of our sin. If we don't have a deep sense of our sin, then how can we love him as he deserves to be loved? How can we truly understand the price that was paid on Calvary if we don't understand the deep sense of our sin? So that is the reason why we see Luke pointing out that she is a sinner. And the fact is, our understanding of our own sin is always better than it should be. Our understanding of our own sin is always better than it should be because we're truly worse than we think of ourselves. More times than not, we give our own selves too much credit. And I'm speaking of myself, amen? And the reason why that is is because our hearts are deceiving. We would deceive ourselves, think of ourselves as better than what we are. That's the bad news. 
The good news is, is Jesus Christ. This woman's motivation for her love was centered on the fact that she understood that Christ forgave her of her sins. That was what she zeroed in on. That was what was most important. Even more than that, that he would pay the price for her sins. You know, this is just, this is just amazing when you look at how she responded. This is not some fictional story. This is something that Luke saw and Luke recorded and actually took place. Here's a woman who probably felt down and out. She felt hopeless. I don't know if there's anybody here like that today. Someone felt hopeless without any help. But she felt, you know, that, that Jesus Christ, and she knew that Jesus Christ was her way out. He was the hope that she was looking for. And so that, we see, is the good news. I know that Charles Spurgeon said, the more horror you feel at your sin, the more intense we will be, will be your gratitude to the bleeding Savior who has put that sin away. The more horror you feel at your sin, the more intense will be your gratitude to the bleeding Savior who has put that sin away. So it's in our best interest that we have a healthy understanding of our sin. The point is critical because one reason many people have a difficult time loving Christ with all their heart, mind, and soul is because of a diminished view of their sin. You will typically find those that have a low view of their sin have a high view of themselves. That's what you'll typically find. Those that have a low view of their sin think of themselves very highly. And I'm not talking about non-believers. I'm talking about believers. Be non-believers, I'm not talking about. So we need to, again, examine ourselves. And I think this can be difficult even for those who were considered by the world standards to be morally good, especially before they gave their life over to Christ. Uh, because we have, you may have someone who never drank or never got drunk for, per se and never smoked. Um, they, they, never, they were known for telling the truth, always trying to do what's right. And all they hear is the world telling them that you're a good person, that you're doing good. And, uh, but while listening to others, they may be tempted to think little of their sin. While they're being told how good they are, God is telling them how filthy they are. Amen. So let's just be reminded of that. In, that. in this passage, in this parable, Jesus Christ responds back to Simon the Pharisee with a parable. And he speaks about this parable and how you have two debtors. One debtor, he said, owed 500 denarii. The other owned 50 denarii. Now, 500 denarii was the equivalent of two years' wages, approximately. 50 denarii was the equivalent of like two months' wages. So if you have someone who pays off a two years' worth of debt, uh, Christ is saying that that individual is going to be more grateful, more, show more gratitude to Christ uh, because of that big debt that was paid off. But let us not pay so much attention to the fact that one's debt was bigger than the other. It was their understanding and acknowledgement of what the debt was. That they had a debt that they could not pay. And before Christ came, they were hopeless. And so the same goes to us is that we have to understand our sin debt. Some may have, you may take somebody who has murdered three people. And someone who lied three times. Neither one of them can pay their, their sin debt. They both are, are in trouble. So it makes no difference how much you've been doing before Christ 
you may be somebody who's been morally good, per se, according to the world standards, but everyone stands in the need of God's grace and his salvation. The one who understands the magnitude of their debt is the one who will love him even more. So I have to understand the magnitude of my debt. No one understood that more than the woman in this story. And the fact is, Christ had not even been crucified yet. Y'all didn't catch that. Christ had not even been crucified yet. He hadn't been on the cross yet. But she, you see the gratitude she had. She wasn't necessarily just focusing on the pain that he was to endure on the cross. She was just so grateful that he's the one who took that burden off of her back. And, she was, and he hadn't even been crucified yet. She understood the hopeless situation she was in. Now her love, let's make sure we understand, her love is not what saved her. Her love is not what saved her. Her, her faith in God is what saved her. What did Jesus Christ say? He said, your faith has saved you. Amen? So our love is a result of our forgiveness. It is a fruit that comes. It is a result of the forgiveness, a product of Jesus Christ forgiving us of our sins. So we see also in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, you are saved by grace through what? Through faith. Now when we look at, again, this woman, we see that she, again, we don't know much about her, but she expressed her love for Jesus Christ, and we know that she expressed this deep-rooted love for Christ because she understood the gravity of her sin. She understood the debt that was owed. And so when we look at how she expressed her love for Christ, we're going to go through this and, and take a look at the things that she did to show her life, her love for Christ. And we should make note of her devotion uh, to Jesus Christ in return for his mercy and his grace. And some of you may be saying, well, I, I can't show that type of love to Christ because he's not physically here. And yes, you can. Uh, although Christ is physically not with us, we show our love to Christ in a number of different ways. One of them is by our obedience to him. Christ mentioned three times in John chapter 14, he says, if you love me, then you will obey me. Amen? So let us not separate obedience from love. And so we see that Christ puts an emphasis on the fact that if you love him, you will obey him. We also see that our love for Christ is seen by our or through our love for others. In John chapter 13, he says, people will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one, one for another. That's Reverend Allen's favorite sermon. Amen. We also see that we give our love and show our love to Jesus Christ in worship. We express our love to him as we give him praise for his grace and for his mercy. So there are a number of ways we show our love to Jesus Christ, even though he is physically not with us through obedience, through our love for others and through worship and praise. The one thing that we do see, uh, again, through her expression of love to Jesus Christ, is this woman did not let anything hinder her from showing love to Christ. And that's a, a message to us. Don't let anything hinder you from showing your love to Jesus Christ. She most certainly was not welcomed there with the religious 
uh, leaders there. There was two reasons. First, the Jewish rabbis did not speak to women in public. They didn't speak to them in public. Okay? So if they asked a question, Jewish rabbis could respond. But typically, it was deemed inappropriate for them to initiate the conversation. Secondly, Jewish rabbis did not eat with women in public. So you have these religious leaders here, and you have Jesus Christ eating a meal, and then you have her showing up. She didn't ask, can she come in? <laughs> she didn't ask, am I invited? Is my name on the guest list? She comes right in. She didn't let anything hinder her from showing her love and devotion to Jesus Christ. I'm sure there was a bit of tension in there when she walked in. Not only was she a woman, but she was known as a sinner. She was known as a prostitute. So for them who were there, the Pharisees in particular, who were so concerned about purity, uh, had to have been up in arms about what was going on here. But she didn't allow any of that to hinder her worship. The question is, how far will you go to let Christ know that you love him? How far will you go? Will you let anything hinder you from praising God as he should be? It might as well just have been her and Jesus Christ in that room alone. Because I don't think she saw anyone else. And she had tunnel vision. And she was just praising him. It, it, it didn't make no difference who else was there. It was just her and the Lord. And so when you come to church, or whether you at home, we should be praising him the same. It's between him and I because I know what he has done for me. I don't need anyone else to praise him for me. I don't need anyone to worship him for me. Because I know what he's done for me. And so this woman right here knew what Jesus Christ had done. And so it was just her and the Lord. She didn't let anything interfere with her worship. Didn't care what others would say about her. Didn't care. She knew she had a reputation. She knew they knew that she had a reputation. But she didn't care what others would say. Sometimes we get so caught up into what others are going to think. What others are going to say about me. What, what are they going to say if I respond this way? They're not used to seeing me respond this way. They're not used to hearing me shout. They're not used to seeing me stand up and praise. Don't worry about that. Think about your sin debt. And everything else will follow. Just think about the debt that was paid. And that should be enough. Don't let anything hinder you. Don't let your pride get in the way from praising God who deserves it. Again, his word says to love your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That's the greatest commandment, he said. So it's to our duty. It's to our, us to be responsible to try to love him as much as we can. Is our love any different that we show to Christ than we show to anyone else? Can people see a difference between our love for others and our love for Christ? She was not looking to please anyone other than Christ. She wasn't looking to please anyone else. Christ is looking for worshipers and not entertainers. There's a difference. He's not looking for entertainers. He's looking for worshipers. Worshipers give the glory to God. They reflect God's glory. Entertainers look to get glory themselves. And so she wasn't looking to get glory herself. She was just looking to glorify Jesus Christ. 
She's in the midst of these religious leaders who knew her lifestyle, but again, she didn't care. She could have waited for another private opportunity. I'm going to wait till Jesus Christ comes out. I ain't going to go in there. I'm going to wait till he comes out. Wait till he gets to a little bit of time by himself, and then I'll approach him at that point. Don't let, your, don't let your worship and your praise to Christ be hindered, for you don't know when's the next time or when your time is up and when you're gonna be, it's going to be your last time of praise and worship. And the question he may ask you, did you love me with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength? Another thing that we see, we, again, we see that Christ doesn't want to, uh, us, we shouldn't let anything hinder us from showing our love to Christ. And secondly, Christ wants all of us and the best of us. He wants all of us and the best of us. When we accept Christ in our life, everything we have and everything that we are belongs to Christ. Our bodies, our time, our jobs, our home, our money, everything belongs to him. All of it is used in a way that communicates our gratitude to Jesus Christ for what he has done. I, you know what? I'm not even talking about what he's doing now and what he's going to do. I'm talking about what he's already done. I hope you caught that. I'm not talking about giving him glory and praise and worshiping him and showing him love for what he's doing now and what he's going to do, which is good. That's, that's great. But what he has already done, for he has already paid the price. He has already died on Calvary's cross. So while we can focus truly on and be grateful to God that there's even more in store, we are grateful because he's already made the way and he's made that possible. Some are in the habit of serving or worshiping out of expectation of what he's going to do. What about what he's already done? Amen? We must transform our minds, as it says. If we want to love, if we want our love for Christ to grow even more than it is today, we must transform our minds because we grow up in a what have you done for me type of mentality. What have you done for me lately? I know what you did yesterday, but what have you done for me now? You can see that from the time we're young, we're so ungrateful. Ungratefulness just rooting up in us. Grateful for what we received last Christmas, but what are you going to get me for this Christmas? <laughs> I know what you got me last year, but what are you getting me this year? It's sad to say, but many of our parents are responsible for fostering that type of mentality in their kids. Many of us are responsible for raising children with that type of mentality. I mean, the kids have everything under the sun. They got a mobile phone, they got a computer, they got the Xbox, they got the new shoes, they got everything. And it's okay to bless your kids. It's okay for us to bless our kids, but we have to, uh, we have to be cautious because that type of environment raises kids with a heart of discontentment unless it's met with material things. And then they, their relationship with Jesus Christ begins to foster that same type of mentality. If there are trials or tribulations that come in their life, they forget about what he's already done and just focus on, okay, well, why am I going through this? 
if you love me, why am I going through this? And Christ said, I, I showed you my love by the, by the price that was paid on the cross. So we must be careful with our kids and how we raise them. If not, when their wants are not being met, they will start to question the love of God rather than questioning their love for God. Okay? I know Thomas Watson, he said, you don't cure, you don't cure a discontented heart by satisfying the craving. You must starve the craving. If someone's heart is discontented, you don't, you don't feed that discontentment to try to satisfy it. You must starve that craving. You don't just continue to give and give and give and everything's going to be all right. We see that with God, right? With the Israelites. They were in the wilderness and what were they doing? They were murmuring all the time. They were so discontented. They were complaining about everything. Give them water. Give them, give them manna. Well, manna's not good enough. We want this. We want steaks. We want everything else. And what happened? God continued to bless them, but they roamed in the wilderness for 40 years because of their discontentment, because of their sin. And although, again, we are to wait in expectation for the day of salvation and tomorrow's promised blessings, let us not forget about what he has already done that enables us to wait in expectation rather than in fear. We also see when this woman with this perfume, it says that she had brought an alabaster flask of ointment, which uh, was an expensive perfume. Amen. She gave the best that she had. She brought this perfume with her, and she knew what she was going to do with it. And Jesus was eating at the house, and she takes this perfume, and she uh, starts to anoint the Savior's feet with this ointment with this perfume and it questions you know are we giving Christ our best are we just giving him the less that we have are we giving him everything that we have she gave of everything that she had including herself Christ doesn't want us to just give him our money he doesn't want us just to give him our tithes he wants us amen we see her she used our perfume she used our her hair and, and, and the, the thing that's particular about the hair is the practice of her letting her hair down. It was, <laughs> it was not common, and, and it was the practice of the day was for women to not let their hair down in public. And so she just let her hair down out in public. She, she, she bum rushes the, the meeting the, 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 when they're eating, first of all, which, which wasn't what they would expect. And she also let her hair down to wipe his feet. That is something that, again, she could have been uh, persecuted for, whatever it may be, but she did not care. She gave her all to Jesus Christ. She didn't just bring what she had, but she offered herself as a living sacrifice. Romans 12.1 tells us to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your reasonable act of service. Amen? Is Christ receiving the best from you, or is he receiving your leftovers? We give Christ leftovers when we give other things or people more attention than he gets. We give Christ leftovers when we give other things or people more attention than he gets. 
Christ said, if you are to be my disciples, he said, you must hate your mother, your father, your family. <laughs> and was he saying you should literally hate? No, he was using that to bring attention to the fact that our love for him should be so much more greater than it is for anyone else that we show. So if someone can't see the difference between the love you show in someone else and the love you show Christ, I think there's a problem with that. Because there should be a distinction between our love for him and our love for everyone else. He says that if you're to be my disciples, your love for him should be so much more greater. We give Christ leftovers when we desire other things more than we desire his word. And you know what our actions say to Christ is, I'll get to you when I can get to you. Thank you for the blessings, by the way, but I'll, I'll be back. I'll get to you when I can get to you. Are we giving them our leftovers? What kind of love is that that we're giving him? We do it when we give him less time. It, it takes us less time, uh, or we give Christ less time, than it takes for us to watch Young and the Restless <laughs> or an entire football game. You can spend three or four hours watching a football game, right? Just one game. It ain't talking about the pregame show. Are we spending at least three or four hours? Are we spending at least three or four hours? Young and the Restless, I don't know much about Young and the Restless, but I know it comes on a lot. I don't know how many Young and the Restless fans I got here. <laughs> But in all seriousness, are we giving him the leftovers? Are we saying, I'm going to take care of this first, and then I'll give to you your time, whatever is left over? Let us examine our love for him and our actions. Third, we see that our actions speak louder than words. Our actions speak louder than words. The thing I, I really enjoy, when you look at this woman, she doesn't say one word. She doesn't say one word. She comes in. She's crying. Her tears are wet in his feet. She uses her hair to wipe the tears and everything. She uses the, uh, the, the, the perfume that she had to, to anoint his feet and everything. But she doesn't say one word. And that doesn't mean that we're not to give him praise or worship him through our song and through what we say. But the question is, do our actions match what we say? Are we living the way we say we live? Are we worshiping? Are we loving him the way we say we love him? The, the, the congregational hymn of today was, oh, how I love Jesus. Right? And so when we sang that to Jesus Christ, I'm sure he's asking us, how much do you love me? She was called out by the Pharisees, this woman, but she still didn't say one word. Because her devotion spoke louder than anything else. You didn't have to question whether she loved Christ. Because you could see it through her devotion. 1 John 3.18 says, let us, not love the, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Let us not simply love with words or tongues, but with action or with truth. And so when we see through this message, let us 
examine our own love for Jesus Christ. That we not be one that simply says that we love Christ, but that others may see the love we have for Christ. But more importantly, that Jesus Christ feels the love that we have for him. And we can do that, again, we see through many ways. We can be obedient through our obedience and through the way we treat others and through worship and through praise. And my prayer is that our love for Jesus Christ will grow even more than it is today. And for that to happen, we must remember the big debt that we all owed and the fact that he paid that debt for you and me. For it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? Neither one of us would be in here worshiping him right now if he had not paid that debt. If he had just sinned once and had not lived a righteous life, neither one of us would be in here. And so we just give God all glory and honor for his grace and his mercy, for it is his grace that has set me free. And there is no greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Amen? Now, as in we closing, I want to read Psalms 116. I want you to close your eyes. Don't worry about turning to the chapter. Just listen to Psalms 116 as I read that. And I want you to close your eyes and just kind of listen to the words that are said here in this Psalms 116, which is speaking primarily of the gratitude of someone who has been redeemed. It says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress, distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, our God, we give you all glory and honor, Lord. Thanking you, Father, for the price that was paid on Calvary's cross for each one here, Father God. We stand in gratitude, Father God, and with voices of thanksgiving for, the, for what you have already done. Not simply what you're doing now and what you're going to do. But for what you've already worked out, Father God, we just bless your name and just give you all glory and honor. I pray, Father God, that our love for you may be more than, than mere words, that it may be of action, 
that we may grow to know even more, Father God, the magnitude of the debt that we had uh, owed you, Father God. But because of Jesus Christ and the blood that was flowed from Calvary's cross, we are free. We are, that debt has been paid. And so we just praise you and thank you. We ask you be glorified through our life and that others may see the love that we have for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you.